0: I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Hey Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. I'm sorry that this is going to be coming out a little late. Hopefully late on Friday, maybe not till Saturday morning. It is a crazy time in our neighborhood. It is a good old days festival. We had a parade Thursday that I had to walk in. Today we had a yard sale. Tomorrow we have a yard sale. I hate yard sales. I don't mind shopping yard sales i do mind having one of my own but you don't care about that this week we are going to be traveling to the northwest for our episode way northwest to alaska to learn about the Kennecott mining company and its ghosts the Kennecott mining company is located beside the Kennecott glacier Northeast of Valdez, Alaska. Just a little tidbit of information. Kennecott Mining Company is spelled K-E-N-N-E-C-O-T-T. The Kennecott Glacier is spelled K-E-N-N-I-C-O-T-T. The glacier is the correct spelling. And when they made the mining company, somebody had a spelling mistake. And that's why the mining company is spelled with an e and the glacier is spelled with an i so if it ever comes up on trivia night when you're out and about you'll have the answer in the summer of 1900 two prospectors spotted a green patch far above them in an improbable location for a grass green meadow it turned out to be malachite located with chalcosite. Stephen Birch, a mining engineer and Alaska Copper and Coal Company member, visited the property in 1901 and did mapping and testing, and he found the deposit was at the time the richest known concentration of copper in the world. The Kennecott Mine had five different mines, the Bonanza, the Jumbo, the Motherlode, the Erie, and the Glacier. The first four mines were connected by tunnels. In 1916 was the mine's peak year, and it produced $32.4 million worth of ore. In 1925, it was predicted that the high-yield deposits were beginning to come to an end. By September 1938, the mines were closed. From 1909 to 1938, the mine produced over 4.6 million tons of ore. In 1938, it was proposed to make the area a national park, but it did not happen then. From 1939 to the mid-1950s, the area was deserted, except for a family of three who served as watchmen for the property. Late in the 1960s, there was an attempt to reprocess the tailings, which are basically the leftover bits, and transport them by plane, but it turned out to not be profitable. The landowners ordered the destruction of buildings to prevent accidents. Only a few structures were destroyed, and the total demolition was never finished, leaving most of the town still standing. Then in 1980 the Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve was created, which included the Kennecott Mines. Wrangell St. Elias National Park is listed as the largest national park, and in size, it's equivalent to six Yellowstone parks. In the 1980s, the area became a tourist destination, mostly because people wanted to see the old mine. The town of Kennecott was never repopulated. It became a National Historic Landmark in 1986, and in 1998, the National Park Service acquired most of the land within Kennecott Mine. The area is popular for glacier hiking, ice climbing, and touring abandoned mills and mines. Tourists can also hike the mine, though it requires a strenuous full-day hike. The mines and town are the best remaining example of early 20th century copper mining. In the early 20th century, America was hungry for copper to build the railroad, electrify cities, and supply munitions for World War I. It was hard and dangerous work. There were about 600 men who worked seven days a week. The town of Kennecott was filled with miners and their families. And as I mentioned, it was dangerous work. There's a record of mine deaths between 1913 and 1922. There were people who suffocated by earth, crushed by timber, crushed by falling slabs, explosions, falling from the tramway, falling from a long distance. One specifically stated 60 feet. There were also deaths by snowslide and landslide. The old railroad that served the Kennecott copper mines in Valdez and Chitina mining districts was the culprit in many of the deaths listed, or rather the building and maintaining of the railroad. Now the railroad is an abandoned 200-mile-long stretch of tracks winding from Kennecott Glacier south to, Cordo- to Cordova on Prince William Sound. The copper was shipped south to smelters in Tacoma, Washington after being processed there. The railroad was built by the Kennecott Copper Corporation, and construction began in 1909. It was completed in 1911. But it was built on some unstable areas, like a glacier, that required the tracks to be moved around as the glacier shifted day to day. But the glacier wasn't the only obstacle. The tracks spanned canyons and clung to rock walls high above the Copper River. Thousands of laborers had to dig through deep snow and avalanches or blast their way through miles of rock. Many of the recorded deaths happened during construction of the railroad. The railroad was called the CR and NW, Copper River and Northwestern Expressway, but the miners called it the Can't Run and Never Will. During the mining boom, small communities sprang up around Kennecott. McCarthy was one such city, next to Kennecott. It offered gambling, saloons, and brothels. Always good for a diversion from everyday life. I'm joking. When the mines played out, these towns became ghost towns virtually overnight. But because of several nearby active gold mines, McCarthy managed to survive for a bit, but eventually succumbed to the lack of mining. The nearest town to where McCarthy was is Chitina, Alaska, located to the west, and it's now considered a tourist spot with summer cabins available to rent. Stories began circulating about the Copper Railroad and surrounding areas. Tourists began showing Chitina residents photographs they had taken of mysterious children and old miners who could not be identified and and who were not part of the tourist group. When the Wrangell-St. Elias National Park was established, the old copper railroad grade was used to build a road that led into the park. The road was paved over and is now called McCarthy Road. It serves as the main passageway into the national park. For many years now, visitors to the area have reported something strange along the area where the railroad once ran. They have seen tombstones along the road in the places where it parallels the old railroad track. I know that doesn't seem weird, because maybe they just buried people there where they died, right? The weird part is that when they head back down the path, the tombstones are gone. In fact, people have tried to take photographs of them, but they never appear. This was reported consistently over the years. Then in the 1990s, the state of Alaska thought it would be a good idea to repopulate the area by building government housing. The state sent construction crews to build government housing along the trail. During construction, workers began experiencing strange phenomena. They began reporting seeing full-bodied apparitions walking around the worksite. They also started hearing disembodied voices of children and adults along the track bed. Then, if full-on ghosts and ghostly laughter and talking wasn't enough, they began losing their tools. The tools just simply vanished. Then they began flying out of the tool belts and vanishing. At this point, the workers became terrified and refused to stay. The decision was made to abandon the project probably a really smart decision can you imagine the mess that would have happened if those houses were built have any of you seen poltergeist go oh, into the light Carol caroline since the 1990s there have been no other attempts to resettle the area the Kennecott mine area is considered alaska's most haunted location and one of the most haunted locations in the world I've never been, but it must be pretty crazy if it was a big enough deal to stop state government from continuing their housing plans. We're going to jump locations here to include a haunted former Alaskan hotel that was a popular place during the Yukon Gold Rush, because I want to make sure that I have enough content in an episode for you. The discovery of gold in the Yukon in 1896 set off the Klondike Gold Rush. Roughly 100,000 prospectors flowed through Skagway, Alaska. Skagway had a deep water port and had the most direct route to the gold fields. The population there exploded from 700 people in 1897 to 10,000 people in 1898. During that population explosion, the Golden North Hotel was built in Skagway. It provided accommodation and refreshment to prospectors passing through at a number of about a thousand per week. One prospector, called Klondike Ike, traveled to Skagway with his fiancee, Mary. Mary took up residence in room 23 at the Golden North while Ike headed out on the 500 mile journey to strike it rich. Here's where the story takes on a couple of different variations. In one, Mary ends up getting pneumonia. In another, she grows worried when Ike doesn't return in the time frame he said he would, and she locks herself in her room. And others say that she locked herself in her room because she was hiding from some local ruffians. Either way, she dies. The story said that the hotel staff had to break down the door to the room where they found her dead. She was allegedly wearing the dress she intended to get married in. Now, Mary haunts the building. Some see her roaming the halls or watching for Ike to return in the window of her room. Others have heard mysterious noises and felt blasts of cold air in Alaska. I'm not sure how strange blasts of cold air are in Alaska. My guess is it must be pretty cold. Guests who stayed in room 23 would wake up feeling like they're choking. There's also strange happenings in room 14, though no one knows the origin of them. Staff and guests have seen a mysterious light. Some say it's a sparkle or a twinkle, and others call it a full-on orb. Sadly, the hotel closed down in 2002, so you aren't able to rent a room. The building still stands, however, and houses frontier excursions and adventures. So if you're headed to Alaska, consider checking these locations out and let me know what you find. Sadly, that's going to do it for this episode. I apologize for it being a little shorter than normal, but sometimes stories are straight and to the point. Next week, we will have two different mysterious disappearances. One where somebody is recovered, alive, and one where they have not been. And aliens are involved. Maybe. I don't know. But that's coming up for the next episode. Remember, you can find Lurk wherever it is that you listen to your other favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com, where you can find all of our episodes along with links to social media. Heads up that the Jefferson County Bigfoot and Paranormal Expo in Reynoldsville, Pennsylvania, is happening August 26th. That is this coming weekend. So if you're in the area, make sure you stop by and say, Hey, it looks like it's going to be a pretty decent event. We also have the Whitehall New York Sasquatch Festival next month on September 30th, so make sure you mark your calendar. If you have a minute and like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and let your friends know. And until next time, keep lurking.